Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, Donnie Blanchard, brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Raleigh, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And welcome back to the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. Across from me, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. How you doing, Donnie? Feeling fine, sir. How about you? I'm doing great. And if you want to learn about the show, hit the website first. We're going to have a quiz later, so there will be question and answer period. TheCarolinaContractor.com. The best thing is you can find old shows up there. I don't want to say old. They're encore presentations of shows we have done in the past. <laughs> nice. Uh, last week, we did uh, home offices and with a lot of people working at home. It really didn't affect you a whole lot, Donnie, because of no. like with Suretop roofing yeah. and having to be mobile. Right. But for me, COVID changed it. I work a lot more at home and there's lots of things to consider if you're going to have a home office and what you need to set up and even tax implications, you could lighten your tax load. Go to the website to listen to that show. Also, ask the contractor button. More on that in a minute. We have links to the Facebook page there. And basically, the show in a nutshell is about your house. Sometimes it's do-it-yourself projects. It's things to look for. We did an episode one time about when you should do it yourself or call a pro. Right. We agree when it's high voltage or plumbing, we'd rather call <laughs> a pro. We've talked about barbecue grills and swimming pools and all sorts of stuff, but that information is easily contained and you can sort through it in an easy way by going to thecarolinacontractor.com. Now, I mentioned this little button on the webpage called Ask the Contractor. That would be General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Do you have a question about your house? Click on that button and submit it there. And Donnie answers them all. And today's show is going to be nothing but questions that were submitted. We also updated it where you can upload video. Mm. All right. So give an example where a video question would be good, Donnie, if you can. If you have an issue with um, just anything under the house or uh, anything in the attic, and a lot of times the terminology isn't something that, that you know how to put into the question the right way. So if you just kind of have an issue and you can shoot me a quick video and say, hey, is there water supposed to be there? That's mm -hmm. pretty much the simple way to get it across. And the answers seem to come out a lot better when I get that visual. Yeah. I don't know if it'll help if the question is, is my under my house supposed to smell like this? A video probably won't <laughs> unless you got smell of vision Now, before we jump in the show, I did want to say something. Yep. We've talked about fireplaces and chimneys yep. in the past. You prefer not to have a chimney on a house because it's a source for water to get in. Right. And, and we've talked before what happens when you get a lot of rain on your chimney. So you have a brick chimney, the water absorbs into the brick because it's not as solid as you think. Right. It's a sponge. Porous. Yeah, yep. it's porous. You get this white chalky material in the winter and mm -hmm. explain that real quick. Efflorescence. Yep. So efflorescence is a product of absorption. So if your brick absorbs the water, the efflorescence is the byproduct of that. And it's really hard to get off. It's, it's not something that... Uh, you want to tackle yourself, probably be wise to contact a pressure washing contractor and let them get rid of it uh, permanently, but it, it's not something that, that's easy to get rid of. So if you can avoid it, that's the best way. Right. And what's the best way to avoid water getting into it? To seal the masonry all the way. Exactly. Now, there are a couple ways to do it. There's the pro way. Do you remember the product you used yep. to use? I use something called Gator Seal. And um, you said you found a, a product that works pretty good as well, right? Well, it's because my brother did it years ago, and we've mentioned it on the show before, but right. he originally used just general water seal. Right. And we had a leak around our chimney in the house, and he sprayed it, and it worked great. Thompson makes <laughs> one for masonry. And by the way, Thompson didn't give me any free product and isn't a sponsor of the show, although they should be. Right. And I used it. It worked great. But what you want to do is look at your chimney. Lightly wash it off. If you're going to have someone pressure wash your house, be careful they don't pressure wash full power on your chimney right. because you can cause damage to the, the, the mortar yep, around it. Yep. 
So you clean your chimney lightly with water. You can brush it. Check out the mortar joints. If you've got cracked or missing sections, you can kind of chip it out. And you can buy tubes like a caulk gun that's yep. specifically used to plug those holes. And then I had a little sprayer, and I put in the Thompson stuff and sprayed it on the chimney, mm-hmm. and it's like Rain-X. Wow. It is not the official professional way, but I know it would get me through a season. Yeah. And um, I'll take a video of how it works, and, and we'll put up on the site in the near future. But just one of those cheap ways to get into uh, protecting your house if you if you have a few uh, minutes to do it yourself. You're making me look bad on all this DIY stuff, man. I hadn't uh, I hadn't caught up on my list in a while. You know, it's part of the show, and a lot of people have questions for us here at the Carolina Contractor Show. So Donnie's put on his thinking cap. He's the brains. I'm the beauty here. So I'm going to read the questions you have submitted. Do you have one? Go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on Ask the Contractor button. You ready to kick this off, Donnie? Let's do it. All right. I got to stretch because I don't want to pull anything doing this. <laughs> Question number one for Donnie and the Carolina contractor. We have a 70s home with a block wall basement. It only leaks when we have consecutive rain days. What can we do? Speaking of waterproofing. Right. Um, This is a similar answer to uh, what we commented on regarding the chimney situation that you mentioned. But uh, in the 70s, block wall basements were pretty much the only option. Of course, now we have concrete form walls. We have uh, precast concrete walls, which is what I have in my personal house. And uh, the concrete there is about 5,000 PSI, which is bridge concrete. So they virtually cannot leak. Uh, and, and part of the reason is the base that they're sat on is a 12-inch gravel base. So gravel is excellent in terms of drainage. So water just can't accumulate around the basement wall. But in this particular situation, these folks had a leak after it rained several days. And uh, what that told me, and the leak was also at the very bottom of the wall. So that told me that it wasn't coming in you know, near the top of the ground, but uh, that water had settled and been pushed down further and further. And uh, their vulnerable point was along the bottom couple courses of block. But uh, the first thing to do when you have a, an ongoing leak like this is consider the source. Uh, your roof is channeling off uh, hundreds of gallons of water during a rainstorm. And, of course, your downspouts focus that uh, runoff into one spot usually. So if you have a downspout on the high side of your basement that's just dropping that much water there and you don't have positive drainage on the surrounding yard, then it's a problem that's waiting to happen. And a lot of times this can be a really cheap fix. But um, if the downspouts are, in fact, piped under the ground, you can't really see if that uh, drain that's under the ground has been compromised, and sometimes that is the culprit. Mm. But uh, the positive drainage that I mentioned is another really important thing. If you don't have uh, the proper runoff on the high side of the basement, then that's definitely going to channel that water the wrong way and end up around the bottom of your basement. And um, when we mentioned the chimney uh, leak, you know, and you mentioned how porous masonry really is. You know, of course, the mortar joints that separate the masonry units is even more porous than the masonry itself. But um, uh, in the 70s, they just didn't have the waterproofing agents like we do now. And uh, really cool story in college, a man named Jeff Taylor. Jeff still listens to the show now. He was the head of the construction department at App State. So um, anyway, uh, Jeff took a solid cap block, which is a, a four by eight by 16 concrete block with no cells in it. And he's explaining how this works and using a, uh, this analogy for a basement wall scenario. But he turns a water hose on and he's talking to us about how porous masonry is. And, and as he wets the block, it gets darker and darker. He flips it over and gets the other side completely saturated and he turns the hose off. And, the, you know, the block he's holding, we're thinking, what is this guy doing? He says, OK, get ready to turn the hose on when I say. And he puts the hose right up against the block and we turn the hose on full blast and water shot out the other side of that block like a yep. magic trick. So his point was when every pour uh, is completely saturated in a masonry product, you know, it, it, it can't resist any kind of water flow. So it's one drop in, one drop out. And so these particular folks who sent the question 
it took three days uh, consecutive rain to make their basement leak, and it was because the block absorbed all the water that it possibly could until it was saturated, and then the only place was for the water to come into the basement. We did a show, gosh, it's been a year and a half ago, on Zypex and the way it's spelled. Oh, yeah. X-Y-P-E-X, and Zypex is uh, an amazing breakthrough product, and and not a lot of people know about it, surprisingly, but uh, basically you can waterproof your basement from the inside out if it's not a terrible leak and not a, a major problem going on. But uh, the, the Zypex, what, you can actually apply it from the inside of your basement and it will fill all the gaps and cracks. And I think we did a show right before we discovered the Zypex product on self-healing concrete. So, yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> it's a it's a similar concept, though. And uh, the product is, is expensive, but if you don't have to do the excavation involved with uh, the major fix, then it's definitely a money and time saver. But um, if that doesn't work, of course, you have to excavate the ground around there yep. and always recommend cleaning that basement wall, you know, waterproofing it again uh, with, with uh, the latest, greatest products that we have. And the most important thing you need to do is put up a barrier so that when you backfill the dirt after you re-waterproof that thing, uh, the dirt or any kind of gravel doesn't puncture uh, your new waterproofing job. So a lot of people leave that big step out, and it, it's really critical. All right, let's do another question here for the questions-only edition of the Carolina Contractor Weekend. How do you clarify right and left elevation on a blueprint? I've heard the term before. Right, man. I couldn't believe it when this question came in because this is something, it's a, it's a point of contention in my life. It drives me crazy (laughs) because I don't see eye to eye with uh, most of the population on this. And uh, I was an architecture major. I double majored in building science and an architecture at App State. And, and my, the head of the architecture department had a pet peeve and it was because people flipped the right and the left elevation on a blueprint. So uh, if you're standing in the yard looking at the house and you're, you're looking at the face of it, uh, people would call the right elevation what would be your right and the left elevation what would be your left. Mm-hmm. So the way that uh, uh, the professor worded it, and we would actually get a strike on a, on a test if we answered this wrong per him, but he said, if you are the house and you're looking out the front elevation, so your front is their front, he said, uh, you know, the right would be your right and the left would be your left. So basically, it's not as a, a perspective if you're standing in the front yard. It would be as if you were standing on the front porch of the house looking out. It's okay. how you determine right and left. So that's probably not a really well-worded answer, but um, I, that's how I've done it for years. I've been called out on it by, you know, in, plan review folks at the inspections department. I've been called out on it by homeowners, but I'm sticking to my guns and I think I'm, I've got it right. It sounds like a baseball diamond. Exactly. If you're standing in right field, you will think that you're in left. Right. That's your perspective. Right. But you take the perspective based on where you are at home. So yep. home wins every time. All right. Another question for the Carolina Contractor Show. We just moved into a new house and our house trained dog keeps going to the bathroom in the same spot in the same room. So inside the carpet is yep. all new. Any idea why? I'm sorry. There's either a a burial ground or a body there, right? Is that the answer? <laughs> the the answer, and I don't know that they've followed through with the work because this question just came in, but I did a remodel once and I, I explained to them a similar situation uh, that I had. And these folks had a, a dog that was completely house trained and same spot, same room, and they couldn't figure out if it was the dog or the room. And uh, what we ended up having to do is, of course, take the carpet up and they said, well, let's just put down something different like uh, LVP or hardwood. And I said, well, let's just back up and see what the root problem was. I took a moisture meter in that area and uh, we let it dry out for at least a a week or so. Mm -hmm. And I took a moisture meter in there a week later and it still tested out off the charts from moisture. What had happened is the previous homeowner had a dog that they uh, allowed to, I guess, use the bathroom inside. And um, what we did as a fix is we actually had to change out 
the plywood. When we pulled the plywood up, I coated the joist with something that's almost like a mold preventative on top of the joist, and then uh, the back side of the plywood and the front side of the plywood that we put down. But we actually had to take the floor up and change the plywood out and coat the joist to remedy that situation. Wow. Hey, my uh, friends at church, they got a cat that uses the toilet. No kidding. I'm serious. It doesn't flush, yeah. but right. uses, it's. they think it's cool. I yeah. think it's freaky. I had a cat in college, and I read up on how to do that, and you basically stack books up beside the toilet, and mm-hmm. you put their litter box in there, and when the stack of the books uh, reaches the top of the toilet seat height, you put the cat litter box in the toilet, and let it get used to you know positioning its feet or whatever right, it needs right. to do, and then after a week or so of that, you just take the litter box away and done deal. You do, do you know when cats just sit there and they give you a long stare and they blink and people are like, oh, you yeah. know what they're really doing? They're thinking about killing you. That's right. They're trying to figure out how to kill you. That's the <laughs> thing about cats. All right. This is the Carolina Contractor Show. We're about at the halfway point of our questions only show. And we're going to hit another one here. Again, if you have one, hit the website and click on Ask the Contractor. This is a question I'd never thought about. I thought this was a simple thing you could do mm-hmm. anytime you wanted, and it might not be. Here's the question. We are remodeling our kitchen and want to change out the range hood. Will we need an HVAC contractor for that? Hey, Lowe's sells them. You right. just pick it and install it. Right. Usually the ones from Lowe's are okay. okay. Um, the delineation is 400 CFM. So basically, if the new fan is over 400 CFMs, you're going to have to have a heating and air guy come in to uh, install all new lines to the outside for the exhaust purposes. Uh, usually the commercial hoods that you get that uh, will service a gas commercial stove are going to be over that 400 right. CFM, but uh, anything right up to 399 CFM is okay, and it's probably going to be compatible with what you have in place already. So you can just basically uh, unplug the old one or detach the old one and put the new one right in there. And, you know, in terms of what you really need, you know, 400 CFM, I think a bath fan's around 150. So you've got the equivalent of three and a half bath fans just Mm -hmm. at the 400 mark and for uh average residential uh family there that that should do the trick our next question for our general contractor how often should we have the septic tank pumped uh depends on how many people you got next question there you go next question (laughs) i mean that kind of sounds obvious but i guess if you've moved into a house Right. And it has a septic tank. Yep. There might be a little education there. So Absolutely. let's go a little detail on that. So uh, I think the rule is like every three or four years um, uh, with if you have a bunch of women in your house that use a lot of toilet paper. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would pump ours every two years and probably a little more frequent than that when everybody was locked down and at the house for three meals a day. So yeah. uh, it does depend on frequency for sure. It definitely depends on how many people you have. I'm on a schedule for about every two years just because I don't um, I don't want it to get overdone. And since we were talking about septic tanks, another thing you should probably know is don't flush any kind of bleach if you're on a septic tank and, and right. lateral line. The bleach can kill the good bacteria in the septic tank. And if you do that uh, by accident or if you have a suspicion that your septic tank's not breaking down the proper way and you don't want to call a septic tank uh pump fella out there, you can use a product called Ridex. It's fairly cheap. I remember seeing the commercials yep. for it. Yep. And that introduces the good bacteria back into the septic tank. So, I mean, wouldn't it take a fair amount of, of, of bleach or, or? Yes. Okay. So yeah. it's not like if you accidentally poured oh, no. a. Just average laundry is okay. But um, if, you, if you're if you doing something else with bleach and you just decide to pour all that down the sink, it's probably not a good idea. Okay. 
So next question, Donnie, is our water pressure has dropped significantly and we are on a well. Any idea what might be going on? Yes. Hmm. I actually had this at my personal house a while back and, and they, uh, the folks that sent the question in had the exact same situation going on. Um, basically, there's rock dust in your well and sometimes it makes its way into the house and the way it works with your well supply line comes into the house and there's a pressure tank between uh, your water actually coming out of the faucets or being sent to the faucets and where it comes into the house. And the pressure tank, of course, keeps positive pressure on all your supply lines. Uh, What happened in this scenario is the pressure tank was full of uh, basically gravel and rock dust and it couldn't hold the uh, right amount of water in there. And the way that you check for this, it's either that or a failed pressure tank itself. And if your pressure tank has pressure on it, it's definitely the rock dust problem. Um, not an easy fix and, and it's pretty messy fix as a matter of fact, but basically what you have to do is, uh, if you don't have a shutoff, you probably have to have a plumber come put a shutoff, uh, on one side or on both sides of the pressure tank rather. And you can hook up, uh, just a regular water hose up and run that outside and basically turn the water supply to the pressure tank on and off to flush out the, uh, aggregate or whatever may have built up in there. So it normally takes, uh, one, the, the first one you get a lot out of there, you have to basically unhook everything, let it fill back up, and uh, loosen everything that didn't come out on the first go, and uh, and do that process until you don't get any more uh, rock dust or aggregate out of there. Is there any preventative thing no. you can do? Um, uh, basically, with the well, uh, you know, the the well sleeve doesn't really uh, do anything, and and what seems to happen is you hit a point in your well when you don't get any rock dust, and then all of a sudden, it seems like the rock dust comes in waves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other than keeping an eye out for it, I don't think that there's a preventative. Mm. All right, you have a question for Donnie? Go to the website thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on Ask the Contractor, and that's what we're doing today on the show. Nothing but questions. We run out of hot water almost daily. We have a family of five, and we're thinking our hot water heater may be undersized. Is there a certain gallon per person calculation? You said hot water heater. I said that because that's how the question was put out. Wow. That's a first. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I'm reading the question. Everybody listening, Eric's pet peeve is when somebody says hot water heater because the water heater. It's a water heater. A water heater. Uh, I didn't want to embarrass our, our, <laughs> our questioner. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, so for uh, the rule of thumb is for one to two people, 30 to 40 gallon water heater is sufficient. And that's all these folks had is a 40 gallon for five people. Um, for two to three people, usually you need anywhere from 40 to 50 gallons. Three to four people is the 50 to mm-hmm. 60 gallon. Uh, they don't make, they're, they're hard to find. They do make these, but not a lot of the plumbing supplies have them. Uh, but I have an 80 gallon water heater and it's electric in my house. We never run out of hot water. Sometimes it's not as hot as other times uh, if you're washing clothes or running the dishwasher, but uh, definitely the 80-gallon works. Um, in years past, I was not a proponent of anything gas, but I do have gas logs for emergencies at my house. And uh, reason being is LP is so expensive that uh, out in the where I live, basically electricity is a much better alternative and certainly a lot more cost-effective. But I think once my 80-gallon uh, kicks the bucket – I will uh, invest in a tankless water heater. They've gotten so much more efficient in the last five years. Um, the amount of propane that they consume is a lot less than that, what they did 10 years ago. And um, uh, beyond this 80-gallon, this and if an electric water heater is is the only option, then I certainly am an ad- advocate for that. But either upsize your water heater or go tankless. Yeah, it's like a blowtorch on your pipes. Right. Real quick story about uh, water heaters. Uh, one of our family friends bought a water heater for his new house, like through Craigslist right. or something. And it was from a restaurant or, oh, wow. or a, a business. 
he didn't know what he was doing. He just saw he got a great deal, like $400, and it either hadn't been used or it had just been installed and the business went under. So Mm -hmm. he had him deliver it to his house. It was a commercial-grade size water heater, like holding a couple hundred gallons. Oh, wow. He installed it in his uh, garage. Wow. And used it until they sold that house. And I thought, how are you going to explain that to a realtor when you go to sell? <laughs> oh, let's see. We've got this house includes central vacuuming. They're going to leave the uh, refrigerator and they're going to leave the stove. By the way, you have a 200 plus gallon water yeah. heater sitting in your garage that you couldn't, <laughs> two of us couldn't wrap around yeah. our arms around it. You could heat your pool with that thing. Could, and now that's not a bad idea, yeah. but you could sell it to your neighbors. I tell the realtor that it just, uh, I'd, I'd focus on how much it costs to operate because the reason I went 80 gallon instead of the 50 gallon was because it was like a hundred dollars more a year to go 80 gallons versus 50. Yeah. And it's just really cheap to heat water. It, it really is. All right. Next question for the Carolina contractor. And I, I really like this one because people don't think there's much of a difference. So what is the difference between OSB and plywood? Right. For people listening who don't have any idea what this is, uh, everybody refers to anything plywood as plywood. Right. Uh, OSB is something that came along years ago and it's not necessarily a plywood replacement because uh, they both still have their Unique places, but OSB is the acronym for Oriented Strain Board. And so uh, the slang, people just say it's wood chips and glue. And that's exactly what it looks like, but it is an engineered product and it is really strong. And unless it gets wet, it, it really does what it's supposed to do. And it's certainly a lot cheaper alternative than real plywood. Plywood is graded in, in, as CDX and the C and D count, uh, stand for the surface quality. So that's the grade for what you actually see on the outside of that. And the X on CDX is just a type of glue that they use to bond the veneer layers. So basically plywood is just several veneer layers that accumulate to the inch increment that you need for that circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, Plywood, I guess the strong point of that is that it can be exposed to moisture and it may twist or warp, but it doesn't come all to pieces. OSB is actually stronger and rated stronger than plywood, but uh, if it ever gets wet, it basically comes apart or it will flake. It doesn't hold a nail as well as plywood if there had to be another drawback. Plywood is notorious for warping, buckling. In that instance, OSB is far superior. Now, what are some of the other things you can use? Um, MDF is a pretty popular product. It's basically... <laughs> it's uh, made by Samuel Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> I got your MDF right here. <laughs> um, but uh, the MDO is the acronym. It's medium density overlay. So it's the same size as a sheet of plywood, but it's an MDF product similar to OSB. It works great until it gets wet. And um, I'd say the most superior plywood out there is AC plywood. And of course, we mentioned the first two letters are the surface quality, but AC is the best plywood that you can get. And if you ever see folks who do tapered columns and uh, just any sort of um, ornamental front porch design with wood, it's usually made out of AC plywood because it uh, really stands up to moisture, especially if it's painted. Still got time for a couple of questions here on the questions only edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. We are restoring a family cabin that is 100 plus years old on our property. Donnie's already interested now. (laughs) We want to use materials as close to what would have been used originally. So what are our options? Right. Um, Reclaimed wood dealers are probably your best option if you don't want to do a lot of legwork. Uh, these folks have really come out of the woodwork, no pun intended. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> but, uh, on Facebook marketplace, if you just type that in, you know, usually there's a couple within your state, you may have to drive a little bit of distance, but if you find something that's original and suits the, uh, original cabin style, then totally worth it. If you're going to restore this thing to its original condition. Hold on. We, we can't finish this show without yeah. you telling the old tobacco barn. This is before oh, cell yeah. phones and stuff. Cause the, the video 
I can picture a video of this would have been great. Tell the old tobacco barn video. Yeah, we. I restored. I guess it was probably about the third project I ever did as a contractor, and um, uh, restored a, a probably 150, about the same age as, as the one they mentioned. But um, we bought an old tobacco barn, and people who are uh, called bandsaw guy, uh, usually they have mobile bandsaws that'll pull right behind the truck, so if they can come up to your property, and if you have some trees down, they can cut your trees up right there on site and just leave you with whatever you have. Well, this particular one, I think we got the barn for $400, and we hooked a couple of Chevrolet trucks uh, up to the uh, north side of the barn because it was in the worst shape. And, you know, we hooked the trucks and chains up and basically one, two, three, go. And we pulled the north side down, you know, causing the barn to collapse. And uh, the mobile bandsaw guy shows up the next day. And, of course, we help him feed all the wood through. And we got the most beautiful heart pine that I'd ever seen. And basically, it was a lot of work because – um, had to put that through a planer. We had to put a tongue and a groove on each side of it. So it took a month or so to get the amount of flooring that we needed to restore the cabin. But uh, for $400, a planer, the cost of the bandsaw guy, and a joiner to do the tongue and the groove, basically we ended up with something to the tune of $30,000 worth of wood. Mm. And uh, you know we used what we needed and sold the rest. So definitely an eye-opening project. Yeah, just seeing you and your buddies uh, chain <laughs> up uh, the corners of an old house and pulling it out with the yeah. Truck. And when I drive by and see an old barn, right. I now think of what's some of the wood. It might be yep. junk wood or yep. some of it might not be. There's a place in, um, I'm not going to go into it, an old bones. When I see an old farmhouse, it's kind of deteriorating. I always wonder what's the wood inside that going to be right. like. Is it going to be junk or is it going to be something yep. that's just a prize that with some professional cutting and polishing would just yeah. be beautiful. and make you money just as a disclaimer there was no beer involved with that project there was afterwards though because you heard they made a lot of money all right uh, last question real quick here donnie uh, do you recommend buying blueprints online or using a local architect um i would say that if it's not going to be your forever house and you're not going to be uh, sentimentally attached to it it's okay just to buy it online you know uh, an architect's going to probably cost about three times more than um, a plan that that's already online that they're using you know residually just to sell over and over uh, but if it is your forever home, I definitely recommend getting involved with an architect. Um, I even take, when I draw a house plan for folks, I'll, I'll draw it and we'll scale it out and I'll actually have them, you know, measure their vehicles for the garage and actually cut out, you know, what would be an, a real, a two scale size truck or a car to make sure when you pull in your garage, you've got enough room to open your doors, right. things like that. But, um, lot size is also a factor. If you've got a narrow lot, you're probably going to have to have a custom plan and, um, you know, as far as uh, we said this a couple weeks ago, uh, your location dictates code. So when you buy these plans online, uh, they design these things to be built anywhere in the country. And, of course, in Florida, we don't have the same foundation requirements that we do in North Carolina. So uh, they overcompensate for that. And a lot of times the foundation is way over-engineered. I recommend if you do buy one online and you have a builder, if he doesn't bring it up, you should. And tell him, hey, I'd like to take this to a local engineer and see if we can eliminate any piers or the uh, innermost foundation parts of that. And usually when they're able to, if they can eliminate 10 piers, you're talking, you know, four or $5,000 savings for a $600 engineering job. Now, many, many years ago, my wife and I were going to build a house on Mm -hmm. some property we were looking at. And we, we wanted to do that by the blueprints Mm -hmm. online. And the, the realtor said, I'm just going to tell you this, it sooner or later during the the process, you're going to want to have an architect involved. Right. So why don't you find some ideas you like and work with your architect? Because 
One of the things was the garage. They tend to make garages a little too small and little accents to the house that you won't see on the blueprint. You won't recognize will actually stand out when it's built. Yeah. So they, he, it was great, great advice. So my personal opinion is it's fine to buy it, but you're still going to want to maybe have an architect who can fine tune it. So you kind of work hand in hand with those things. All right. All right. That wraps up this edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. The questions and answers only version didn't get yours on or you thought, oh, I didn't know I could do this. Go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com and ask the contractor. Donnie gets those. Also have links to the Facebook page and you can download past episodes and listen to them at your convenience. And we do thank you again every week for downloading these episodes and keeping in contact with us. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next time on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Raleigh, a roofing supplier with a different approach. Send your questions to thecarolinacontractor.com.